Hello and welcome Friar Town. Today is December 22nd, and today we're going to be joined by Steve Napolillo as we break down the beginning of Big East play for the Friars. I am Billy Ritchie, and this is the Friar Podcast. Friar family, what's going on? We're back here, episode 38 of the Friar Podcast. We're going to have a little bit of a different format. We're going to chop it up, Kevin and I, as always, on the beginning of Big East play and that sensational win against Marquette on Tuesday night. And then we're going to be joined by our good friend, been a guest of the podcast multiple times now, Steve Napolillo. We're going to talk a little bit about the, the Friar family NIL and some different things going on in Friartown. But before we get there, really excited to talk about the 72-57 win on Tuesday night against the Marquette Golden Eagles, who were ranked sixth at the time. I'm sure that may change a little bit now with the Friar victory, but they were not alone. UConn lost to Seton Hall um, as well, right? We've had we've had a we've had a turbulent sort of start to the Big East regular season um, conference play. And you know, we saw a lot of things out of the Friars. We saw Kim English just be unafraid in his first game coaching in Big East play. Thought it was a great mojo type victory for Kim as he begins his 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 Big East tenure. Because um, you know, non conference is obviously one thing, but once you get to Big East play, that kind of becomes another another animal. Tyler Kolick's return. He goes zero and three all time. Uh, against the Friars in his career. I'm sure he would have loved a win here, uh, especially in Friartown with his family and friends in attendance. And really the biggest stat is John Fanta, he tweeted it out, is that we're we're the NCAA leader in the past three seasons in wins at home. I think we're 40-3, and Kev. Is that correct? I think that's what he said, yeah. Absolutely insane, right? So keeping up the tradition of winning at home, stunning uh, a ranked top 10 team and which I think that's our largest margin of victory against the top 10 team since 2011 in which would be Villanova who was ranked eighth at the time so just a lot of great things to talk about to kick off the show and Kev as always we'll turn it over to you what were your impressions of Providence's victory against Marquette on Tuesday night so Bill we had talked about on the way down that we really didn't know what to expect as much as we watched this team, you know, the last, what was it, the previous 11 games, um, it still felt like there was an element of the unknown. Um, yeah, I, I just felt like there were still a lot of question marks. You you thought the defense would hold up, but um, for me, I remember talking to you about on the way in, thinking, like, the pick-and-roll defense didn't look that great, and they basically had the best pick-and-roll combination maybe in the country with Kolick and Oso. Um, so I just, you know, I knew the dunks – a tough place to play. Didn't really know what to expect, but the fact that PC just dominated this game the way they did. I um, mean, they led for almost 32 minutes against the number six team in the country. And it, it's a sign of, you know, where PC's gone the last, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years that it feels a little ho-hum. Like, oh, we knocked out the number six team in the country. Um, you know, back about 10 years ago would have been complete, you know, shock. And it wasn't just they beat him. They really took it to him. Um, I thought Devin Carter was awesome, uh, as he's been all year. Uh, his it's, it's just so apparent the work he's done, this jump shot, and this system seems like a great fit for him. Um, and I thought both Jaden Pierre and Garvey Duall took steps forward. Um, when was it now? On Tuesday as well. So, obviously, just a great victory. And I thought really good momentum for – Kim English, too, to start off his biggest tenure like this. Of course, there's going to be questions about a new coach um, after, you know, two years in the A-10. That's basically it. So really important start for him, I thought. Uh, but overall, just really good stuff. And, you know, I think I personally might give too much credit to Marquette against us. I, I have thought about, and I've mentioned on other pods where, it is a really tough place to play when we play them, but I don't think we almost give ourselves enough credit that they really don't like playing at the amp and Shaka smart mentioned that in the post game. And I, I tweeted it out. 
that he, he quote unquote said that you have to have a certain humility when you walk into the Omega Mutual Pavilion, right? That you have to have sort of a, a grinded out win at all cost mentality. And his team did not look like they took the scout as seriously as the Friars did. The Friars really matched up well against Marquette. We were talking about it a little bit pregame as well, that, you know, putting Devin Carter on both Tyler Kolick and Cam Jones is, is was really influential in terms of how the game sort of played out. Marquette isn't that tall. So there wasn't any sort of size disadvantage for the Friars. And frankly, with our length and our, our ability to get out on the perimeter, I mean, we, we held them to 20% from three. It, it wasn't even like there was a shade of hope for them to get up long-range shots, and that's kind of what they're known for. We were just out there and just were causing problems on every single play for them. Bill, did you think – I didn't know if I was being overly sensitive, but I kind of thought Shaka threw a lot of compliments towards PC, but I kind of felt like his comments about them almost being too cool and nonchalant, it felt like a bit of a um, – not a slight at PC, but he was kind of blaming it more in their approach versus PC's defense. He gave him a lot of the credit that coaches always do, but I felt like it was a second year in a row where he brought the refs again this year. You know, the refs got to figure out how to officiate the same way. Oh, a consistent game first. in the second second half, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you remember last year, Hopkins took 18 free throws, and um, yeah, there was – I don't know. Maybe I, – I don't know if you felt the same way. I kind of, he, seemed, he came off a little bit unlikable. Um, and the press conference isn't out there. I don't think Marquette put that out there. But I, after last year, I don't think there was any like recording of shock. I made sure to record it this year. And there are a couple of things in there I put in my article where I thought were kind of like backhanded compliments that he gave PC. Um, that being said, I think the one thing we saw in this game that um, was a big difference against them is just PC's length in the backcourt. You know, Kolick was kind of backing down Jared Biden the last couple of years in, uh, you know, last year he dominated PC, and I felt like he had good numbers, but he essentially he started three for three, but then he went four for twelve the rest of the way. And I think that obviously Carter was the big factor. Uh, I think Kolick had three baskets right out of way, right away out of halftime, and that's what Kim said afterwards that Carter kind of gave him a look like, all right, time to put me back on Kolick because I think they saw Cam Jones getting off a little bit and, and put Carter on him. Uh, but Kolick was essentially, or he was, 4 for 12 after the, the hot start uh, for the rest of the games. His final numbers were good, but I don't feel like he ever got into like, a great flow. And you know that game is huge for him because he was chirping a lot early. It was pretty apparent from where we were sitting. Um, anyway, I feel like I just threw a bunch of things at you. But, uh, you know, the smart thing kind of rubbed me slightly the wrong way. It wasn't overt. We've seen plenty of coaches come in here thinking like Jim Beheim or Dan Hurley when it was his first years of the URI, which were much worse. But it, it seemed like a kind of a, a bit of a slight at PC. Yeah, I mean, Shaka is certainly unique in his style, and, and he doesn't really like to kind of overblow things too. So I don't think he wanted to give us too, too much credit. But, I mean, man, this is a team that beat Kansas 73-59. to 59. Right. And this is a team that lost on a last second, I mean, multiple last second possessions to Zach Eady and Purdue. Right. And we just blew, we blew their doors off for most of the game. Obviously, if we shot a little bit better and we had an extra eight to 10 points due to misses on front end of one and ones. Yeah. And just kind of the mind, the mindset, no pun intended, did change a little bit as we were winding down in the second half because the, the game, we had already defeated them in so many ways that it kind of was easy to pull up on finishing the rest of the game but man this win cannot be understated in the sense of Marquette really does have everything in today's NCAA to make a long tournament run with skilled guard play great shooting great efficiency great coaching and again anybody who says that they knew what we were going to be getting in this game one they're lying because this was I was saying this to somebody earlier today right in the Keno era, you knew that we weren't going to play defense and we weren't going to have enough to pull a game out, right, in a, big, in, a, in a Big East game against a good opponent, right? Tim Walsh era was fairly inconsistent, so you just didn't know what you were getting in general, right? In the Cooley era, we knew that it was going to be a defensive, grinded-out, battle-type game, right? We've seen a little bit of a couple different things in, in the Kim non-conference era to where I really didn't think 
I had any sort of feel on what we were going to bring. And it was downright impressive what scout the coaches had. And it was downright impressive whatever they said to them before the game to get them all bought in because they were all bought in from, from the moment the ball was tipped. Yeah. And you know, Billy, they, they basically got not a lot from Aduro and Hopkins. Aduro is three for four. He had nine boards and Bryce didn't have a great game at all. Three for 10, 0 for four from three. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, that was kind of canceled out by ticket gains hitting five of 10 from three. And essentially, as we said afterwards to each other, if they're going to get 10 three-pointers from two of their guards, they're probably going to win. Um, but just a lot of good signs. Like even Rich Barron came in. He had his one look at the core, swished it, looked really good. Garway, I thought, um, you know, Billy, we talked about after the game, the drive home. He was 0 for 4 from the field. If you just picked up the box score afterwards, like, all right, he had seven assists, no turnovers, must have played pretty well. But I thought he looked so much better. Like, this is a huge step forward. Obviously, the, the pass to Hopkins is one of the best we've seen in a while, but uh, he just looked much more in control out there, um, and that's a huge sign. You know, I, I was kind of thinking that it was going to be, you know, Jaden will stabilize things. I, I kind of feel like – I do feel like Jaden's on the verge of turning, turning a corner. I thought Garvey would be more like late January, but I thought he was great. I thought he played really, really well. Again, didn't score a point, but I thought he impacted the game in a lot of ways. With our ability to play defense at the level of intensity, especially at home, and the ability to be long and athletic against different teams, it's pretty much inevitable if we're able to put down, like you said, 10 threes from multiple guys, that that's going to be hard to beat, right? That may be the formula that we need to replicate and kind of jar, as I was talking about. The Wisconsin game was another example, right? Obviously, Mar- Marquette lost to Wisconsin, and we were able to beat them. So double you know, d- d- double wins against the state of Wisconsin. Take that cheese. But, but realistically, right. How we beat Wisconsin was we punched them in the mouth. Immediately we made a statement and we came out and we were aggressive. We were physical. We were decisive. It was the same thing against Marquette, but really the difference, like you said, was we just had that X factor of threes where, we were able to go on that run early in the second half where it just kind of blew everything open and, and it was really defeating to Marquette, right? It's same in, a, in an NBA game, right? It's those third quarters, almost the beginning of that second half in Big East play. If we can really put down some threes and really play defensive type basketball, it's going to be hard to beat. This game reminded me a little bit of the UConn game last year um, where it was pretty tight, but then over the last like two, three minutes of the first half, PC got themselves some breathing room. But UConn, it was basically, I think they were trailing and went to the half up maybe five or six. In this game, I feel like they went in a spurt to go up 11. Then all of a sudden, Marquette's playing from way uphill. Um, you know, Cole comes out and scores the first seven points in the second half. Then PC comes down. I know Carter hit a big three to counter that. And the next bucket might have been Garway hitting a Duro with a nice pass in the middle of the court. But PC countered right away. But that's where that... 11-point cushion is huge, right? They go on a 7-0 run. It's not pennant time. PC is still up, what, at that point, 4 or 5, 4. Um, and they countered. And I thought once PC countered that initial run, Marquette never got back in the game. And then there was a great sequence where I think Devin hit the two huge threes, uh, followed by Garway's no-look pass to Hopkins, and that blew the roof out of the place. At that point, Marquette was basically dead in the water with, like, I'm guessing maybe 10 minutes to go in the second half. So it was a great win. I wish the students were there. I still thought the vibe in the building was still really good, but just a really great way to start off league play. And they've got a chance to make a statement now. You've got Butler coming up. You've got Seton Hall at home. Neither one's a pushover, but if you want to be a top four team in the Big East, I think these are games you got to win. Amen. So let's go to this Saturday. We have a noon tip against Butler. Very interesting game on paper because Butler hasn't really Butler in the non-conference won games they were supposed to win, right? And lost games that they were supposed to lose. Kind of similar to us, but just a little bit, I would just a little bit less impressive, right? But what I think is interesting about Butler is they have a ton of balance in the in the in the one through five. Like they have a ton of guys that can score. And I mean, this, you know, this this sort of cast of transfers that they put together with Posh Alexander, 
uh, Pierre Brooks, DJ Davis. They have some players who are cons- who, who, who can make you pay, right? Who are consistent in what they do. Yeah, I mean, I can see why people don't believe in Butler. They're, I think, 20 games below 500 in the Big East the last three years. Um, Thad Mata just, like, looked old last year. They just – they weren't competitive. They got blown out in a ton of games. And they essentially lost – they lost Chuck Harris. They lost Manny Bates. They lost that kid, Lacocious. They lost Jaden Taylor. So, it felt like their core was basically gone. Uh, well, it was. It was gone. They brought in nine new players. Um but the thing is, to me, I think everyone jumped off that model kind of quick. Uh, just did some research for the pod. You look at his resume. He went to two Final Fours. He won the Big Ten regular season title five times. He won their tournament four times. He was the three-time coach of the year in that league. Um, last year, I think it was his 18th year coaching. It was only the second time he had not won 20 games. So, you know, he had been out of the game for four or five years for health reasons, but a guy with that kind of resume, I mean, he's not that out of touch with the game. I think he's kind of proving it now. Uh, I still don't know what to expect from Butler, but what I do know is they're, they kind of solved two things that really hurt them last year. They couldn't shoot last year, and I thought they weren't overly physical. Uh, they're still not a great defensive team right now, but they solved the shooting, right? Pierre Brooks from Michigan State's averaging over 16 a game and hitting like 38% from three. He's a physical guy. Uh, the kid Telfort from Northeastern they brought in is like 15 a game. He was like a 33% shooter from three last year. He's at 40% this year. Uh, DJ Davis, for fans who don't know, um, he's shooting like 38% from three. But last year, he had almost 93s, and he shot it at like 40%. So you have those three guys, you're a completely different kind of um, offense. And he's divisive, but Bill, I don't know about you, I always liked Pasha Alexander. I He's just tough and physical. I know he's not a great shooter. He can be a little bit wild, but I imagine he's one of those guys who's just a pain in the ass to play because he's so like strong and physical and quick. Uh, I think he makes them more physical. They brought back that kid, Jalen Thomas, who's like 6'10 and a pretty physical like fifth-year guy. And they've got a 7'1 guy, Andre Screen from Bucknell, who's another kind of obviously big body. So the physical makeup of their team is different. Um, and I, I might have just caught him on good – nights i saw him against texas tech and um i forget the other game i saw him, but both times i watched them they played great so it may just be that i caught him on two really good days and bill i know we were talking to your buddy at um before the game on tuesday it's kind of down on butler i'm sure a lot of fans are feeling kind of the same way i'm not fully in on them but i think they're i think they're a lot better um how much better i'm not really sure but i'm, I'm not thinking this is going to be a pushover on saturday the Pasha Alexander just aura is so interesting because he is tough and and he is somebody you probably don't want to guard, but yeah, he you know shooting twenty one percent from three this year. He is basically at another Biggie school, scoring the same amount and doing the same things he did at St. John's. It's it's just kind of a head scratcher, but you know you can't take him lightly because he does the league so well. I mean, Pierre Brooks is 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 one of those guys where. I mean, he's literally changing the scope of this team with the transfer portal, right? I mean, you know, doesn't really do anything at Michigan State. I think he was at like three and a half a game, and now he's averaging 16 and a half. Dare I say this is like a bright – it's like almost like a Bryce from Kentucky to Providence scenario. Yeah, he's been he's been really good. Uh, he didn't have a good shooting night. They beat Georgetown on Tuesday, and he was like one for seven or one for eight, and that motto was basically like, I'm not worried about him. He's going to shoot pretty well. He, I mean, even with that bad shooting night, I think he's hovering, what did I say, like 38% from three. Um, yeah. But I just think they're, you know, they're just a more like, they're not overly physically imposing, but I think they're more physical than they've been. And like I said, I still, I don't think Thad Mata forgot to coach, how to coach. Like that resume, there aren't too many coaches in college who can match that resume. Um, so we'll see. Like I said, they're, kind of like the PC Marquette game. We were still like, we didn't know what to expect. I feel like we're so early in the season that you really don't know what to expect from game to game, the Big East this early. I mean, I was shocked that I know Clayton got hurt, but I thought nothing of Seton Hall. You know, they played a little bit better later than non-conference, but I would have never thought, especially watching UConn against Gonzaga last week, I would have never guessed that Seton Hall would knock them off. But um, I just think we're going to have a lot of sorting out to do over the first like three weeks of the season. Then things become a lot more clear. But um, 
you know, like I said earlier, I think these are games, Bill, I think you would agree that PC just needs to win. You got Butler and Seton Hall coming up at home. And if, if you start three and zero, you're feeling really good. And there's some tough stretches, you know, there's some really tough stretches in the, in the conference place. So um, I think this is when you got to take advantage of off of the Marquette win. You got to win big East games at home, especially when you start out. Cause that gives you a completely different trajectory as you kind of grind out those, you know, 500 a little bit over 500 big east type schedules i mean the fact that we went into this league play thinking marquette creighton and uconn are very strong and all three go down right we didn't even talk about the villanova win over creighton but i mean just just shows that on any given night this league is as strong and as healthy as it's ever been basketball first you know and that is what it was founded on and what it's, and it's what it's continuing to be all right everybody now we're on to the second portion of the show here we have our good friend, local Rhode Islander, now leading the Friar Athletic World, Steve Napolillo. He's been on the podcast multiple times now, and we're really excited to talk about a few key things that affect you guys on the day-to-day when it comes to PC Athletics. So, Steve, welcome back. We appreciate it, as always. Merry Christmas, Billy and Kevin, two of my favorites in Friar Town. Always awesome to see you guys, and uh, greatly appreciate your love and passion and everything you do for, for PC. You know the deal. It's Friars always. So let's kick it off with Kim. We were talking pregame versus Marquette. We were saying, hey, anything could happen tonight, right? This is the beginning of a new era for a new coach in Big East play. Obviously very hard to win any sort of league game. We've seen UConn, Marquette, and Creighton all go down in, in week one here. How are you feeling going into that first game and how impressive of like a mojo type win was that for Kim in his first Big East game? Yeah, I think what's, you know, really important for everyone to understand is when you hire a new coach and you go through the process is obviously there's going to be peaks and valleys, right? I think everybody wants to win every game and I'm the same way, you know, I don't sleep anymore. And um, you, you go into a game like that, knowing that Marquette is one of the best teams in the country. You know, they've shown it in the games they've played this year. They have some of the best players. One of their great players, local Rhode Islander, Billy, you know, he comes and he loves to play on that floor. So, uh, but from behind the scenes for all of Friartown is what they should feel really good about, the the commitment, the purpose. I talk about purpose with passion all the time. The love of being here, watching Kim, his staff, um, what they're doing day in and day out with the team, the interaction with the players is what I watch. Is, um, as an athletic director, it's not my job ever to tell a coach how they should play, what offense, who they should play. My job is to make sure you're holding the coach accountable about the commitment he makes every day, the behavior he's showing, the energy he's showing, and rightfully so is having the conversations of what he needs to be successful in the position he is. And um, I was really, really happy when I hired Coach English. I'm ecstatic that he's the head coach at Providence College, working with him every day. And um, that's what I tell everybody when I'm – I really think he was born to be here. Um, As I said, the first five minutes interview, and we had the it factor – I love working with them. We work really well. We had really difficult conversations, conversations, accountability that I think are really important. I'm not there to be his best friend. I'm there to make sure that both of us holding each other accountable to do what's best for Providence College and the program. Yeah, I mean, it is impressive how the brand and the style of play and and the defensive intensity we saw in game one was just, reminiscent of prior teams from many many years ago all throughout its history right like it it just felt like a friar basketball win on tuesday night i think you know let's give these student athletes an incredible incredible amount of uh of credit and you know really really appreciate the effort they put forth if you look at it is to have that type of effort when I, you know, in the locker room afterwards, you know, I look at it as like a a young man, like Castro, those seven minutes he gave were critical, critical minutes and coach really thanked him because that's when we needed someone to come in and give Josh a a rest and and play vital minutes. And, you know, the the hard work you look at Devin Carter's put in over the off season, working with coach Kim to really change his offensive game. You know, it's, he, he was always, 
you know, you couldn't question his defense, but what he's doing on the offense, offensive side of the board. Um, and, and a young man like Ticket Gaines, who, you know, people give a, a beginning, he's been struggling, comes out and just shot the ball incredible. If we can shoot, you know, obviously when players like him and, you know, even when other players step up, there's a lot of really, really good players on this team. And as they're really coming together, knowing their roles, um, obviously we play in the toughest league in the country, but I feel really good night in, night out that we can play with anybody um, when this team's on the, on the court. We sure can. And that is because we have a great community here in Friartown, right? It goes to the players on the court and it goes to the fans in the stands, right? And we were talking about it before we jumped on here. There was a transformational gift that was made that was announced uh, in Friartown of $5 million to athletics and some different initiatives here at the school. It was an anonymous gift, so we're not going to mention who was behind it, but we'd love to kind of hear from you, Nap, on, on what that gift is going to do for PC moving forward. Well, Billy, as we always talk about, I'm grateful to every single person who supports Providence College and Providence College Athletics. We could not do what we do if it wasn't for everyone's generosity and support. When you look at it, whenever, you know, an individual and as yourselves, you and Kevin, I know myself is when you're looking to go buy a stock and invest in something, uh, you want to make sure you believe in it, that it has a, an upside and you set a goal of what you want to see that money do. And to have families and this family is an incredible family that we've developed a relationship over 15 years um, to, to go over and work on something that has been part of a process for seven years to see them, you know, give them a menu of things at the institution and, you know, work with the president, father, Sakar, the CFO, Greg Waldron, Kevin Connolly, the coaches, and really, line out what our goals are and what we need to be able to achieve them and have someone tell us, you know, they're going to make a $5 million commitment to get us to help us to go and get those goals is really special. And um, I'm just grateful because I always say people could spend their money on whatever they want. And when they choose to give their treasure to Providence college, we take it really seriously. We unreal gratitude and it's our goal and it's our commitment to make sure that everybody at Providence College goes in every day to make sure you know in our, in our world you're going to win games you're going to lose games but man you better give a hundred percent effort you better know your purpose you better do it with energy and passion and um, that's what makes Friartown so special I mean Billy think about the other night you know I, I'm walking around that building not just as the athletic director but anybody who's a fan anybody who's from Providence Rhode Island or loves Friartown you're selling out a building when the students are going on break. There was an energy in the building. It just, it felt great. And schools would die for that. I watch games all across the country. You see half, half full buildings. You know, it's, we were down in Oklahoma and, and they're a great team. Oklahoma is a big time team. There was three, 4,000 people in their building. You know, it's, it's, and, and that's not a slight to Oklahoma. It's a challenge for, there's so many competitive things, but the people, the fans is, um, as the athletic director, I'm blessed to say we have the best fans in the country. And that building on Tuesday night showed what we stand for. Um, every game going forward, Billy, should be completely banged out like that. So, Steve, we wanted to talk a little bit about NIL at Providence, but I wanted to start by talking more broader, like the national landscape. I know earlier this month, Charlie Baker came out um, he has a proposal which essentially, you know, says that schools could, with his proposal, set up funds for student athletes. But the thing that kind of caught my eye was, from what I'm gathering, he's kind of saying there could be a subdivision where, you know, schools would have to pay like 30 grand to half their student athletes. And it, it felt like it could be a pretty seismic change. Still feels like there's a lot of unclarity there. But was it interesting just your initial impressions of what, Charlie Baker came out with and just with some conversations you're having about that at this point. You know, Kev, I'm not surprised at anything right now that I think what um, President Baker's trying to do is really get Congress involved and in trying to throw something out there so uh, there can be an even playing field if, if there is ever such a term in this name, image and likeness landscape. But 
to try to say, okay, how do we make sure everybody's doing at some sort of level uh, across the board? I think the challenges, and Kevin, I've said this from day one, we're, we're, we're full throttle. You know, I, I mean, you look at the players that coaches are recruiting at Providence College. We're not going to use this as an excuse. I think you see how aggressive I am, how aggressive the collective is, is we're going to raise the money to make sure our coaches and that we're, we're in the A category, uh, whatever this takes us. What um, I think that people have to recognize, and we had a good call in the Big East um, with Governor Baker's lawyers and everything is football's driving the ship. And the more you throw at that animal, um, I think what was always great about college athletics is it gave multiple opportunities to um, students and student athletes across a, a, a wide variety of sports. And, you know, no one wants to talk about what happens to those sports if schools don't want to support certain sports at that level, because you have to do it for both male and female sports, Kevin, you know, in, in regards to Title IX. So I think there's a bigger conversation to be had. I think if you watched what Chip Kelly said from UCLA the other day, um, these conferences getting ravaged and people flying all over makes no sense for 90% of the sports besides football. So does football, if human beings actually wake up with common sense, do that? Um, but I, I would say there's a lot more to be done, Kevin. I think that was the first initial proposal uh, that President Baker's trying to get the, the, the ball rolling so we can see what Congress uh, but I think, as all of us know, there's a lot of um, very important issues in our country that are trying to face. I don't know how high on the list of all the issues they're facing Congress wants to tackle this one. So there's all this talk about, you know, obviously the football schools have a huge chunk of the money. But is there a benefit for you guys because you don't have to pay out like, you know, specific to NIL? You're not paying out 90 to 100 scholarship players in football. Obviously, you want to support kids across the board, but we focus specifically on basketball in our, our podcast. You know, is there something to be said for like, hey, I, I got to focus on like 13 players and not 100 for our main sport? Well, I think when you look at basketball, it's, I think, you know, you said it well is uh, I'm really glad we don't have football at Providence College because that's that's an animal that, as you said, you took just the, the numbers alone, what you're trying to do are incredible. I think our our challenge is I want to be great in a lot of sports, Kev. You know, the the tier as we have in the Big East is, you know, we've won national championship in hockey, cross country and track, soccer programs. Where will the NCA kind of set that standard of what what sports are tier one and what you do with your other sports? I, I don't worry about basketball per se, Kev. We're gonna be full throttle at all times. Coach Kim, I think, as you guys report every day, the amount of recruits and top-level recruits he has in on a weekly basis is something I don't think we've seen here. Um, so I, I feel really, really good as a leader, and it's our responsibility to make sure that we support Coach to get the players he wants. Uh, I think it's the same thing with Coach Bath, Coach Lehman. It's just where does that – what other sports does that trickle into, Kev? And what, as institutionally, will we make the decision to sport at the highest level? What I, what I think is so interesting in the college game nap compared to the pros is in the pros, you have designated contracts. You know when guys are going to be leaving and when they're going to be staying. This is a little bit different of a landscape where, you know, guys can leave early to play pro. They could get different offers from different schools, you know, to have bigger roles or, or, or to, you know, maybe finish out as upperclassmen, what is the landscape like of trying to pull in, like you're saying, those big level recruits that Kim and, and some of his assistants are bringing in, but also trying to keep the guys on the roster as well? Well, I mean, that's the challenge now, Billy. And I, I'm a huge believer is like, listen, this is a system we've been dealt with. I don't control the system. I control how Providence College handled it, how we're proactive and how we're going to be successful in it. So I always say to people, nothing makes sense. So if you try to sit down and try to have a conversation, you know, why is this going on? Um, it now that makes sense is, you know, the NCA is responsible because for years they fought doing nothing. And I think that caused the seismic shift. And now uh, does it really make sense of where it's going? And 
what name, image, and likeness stood for. Is that really what it is? Let's let's talk about it. it's pay for play here. Where where GMs where you run you get a run in what you raise. You're you're saying what can you afford, and uh, that's the reality of it. But I'm I'm hey at the end of the day, we took the jobs we have, and we're going to be successful. And I, and that's why I'm so excited to have Coach Kim. His energy around recruiting what he wants to do, the the style of offense, when you talk to recruits and he brings them in my office and just listening to what he's telling them. Um, if they want to be successful, Billy, if they want to come to a school that absolutely loves and supports basketball, will they be the number one priority? If they want to come somewhere where they're going to learn an NBA offense, learn from somebody whose whole dream was to go to the NBA, who had a taste and didn't, He'll tell you he didn't handle it the right way, and he can teach you to make sure you don't do that. The whole story is also about recruiting the right kid who's going to be successful at Providence College, and that might not be the most expensive kid, Billy. That might not be – if somebody's just coming to get paid, that might not work at Providence and Coach Kim's system. It might, but Coach is really, really smart about who he wants to bring in the culture, how they want to work in the system, how they understand their role. And as you can see, Billy, I could name you five football programs that have a lot of name, image, and likeness money who are awful this year. So it's not just who you're paying for. And as you know, I'm a diehard Yankees fan. It hasn't worked for 14 years right now, Billy. So <laughs> that's not that's not the only thing that it takes. It's a big part, but you got to have all the other line items checked off and you got to make sure you're doing it the right way and at Providence College I can look at you guys in the eye I can look at anybody saying we're going to do this at the top notch level but oh by the way you're going to get a great education we're going to try to make you a better person you're going to be loved you're going to be loved the rest of your life we have the best fans in the country and 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 money's not going to be the issue the issue is where do you want to play? Who do you want to play for? And if you want to go to the NBA, I think we have a coach who can really show you the way to get there. I wanted to follow up with two things, and then we'll pass it back to Kev. Yeah, yeah, go so, ahead. So, the two, so number one, Bryce Cotton, Marshawn Brooks would be those types of players where they didn't come in heavily recruited, and obviously they end up being two of the better friars all time, whether, you know, NIL or not, right? That's what you're saying. It's like there are going to be players who come in walk-ons or you know who, who don't come in with that preferred status who really kind of changed the game in Friartown I totally I totally see that the second thing is I want to really give you guys some credit and you know this hits close to home with me with the Friar Family Collective because I've known Alex Vissera Brian Catalanella for a while right those are good friends of mine and I think they are great representations of the Rhode Island community the Friar Family Collective they get PC basketball they get the Rhode Island community as a whole and how much it means to us you know, and how much PC basketball is our professional sport. So I just want to give a shout out to them. And I know you're big fans of them as well. So. Oh yeah. When we set this thing up, Billy, it was all about um, having a third party. We trusted who we knew would represent the Friar family at the highest level. And, you know, Mike Ferranti, Brian Catanella, Alex, Mike Higgins, Susan, you know, just wonderful, wonderful teammates. Um, uh, couldn't be uh, more excited. Our our challenge is revenue generation. We got to continue it. It's not. It's sustainability, retainment. You know, I I put out there yesterday, Billy, and what I tell we have so many incredible fans. We have ten thousand season ticket holders at the amp. If a thousand signed up tomorrow and said, "I'm going to give a hundred dollars a month for a year," a hundred dollars a month. We'd bring in well over a million dollars just in, just from them. That doesn't include any of the corporate sponsors I'm working, the big donors. A thousand out of that ten thousand, ten percent. If I got to do that, you know, we had somebody give us four hundred thousand or give the collective four hundred thousand, wanted to do a challenge. What I'm telling everybody is, you get four hundred of those people, you're blowing by that mark. It sounds challenging, but we have the passionate fans. I know people want to win. This is the process. Is some people say to me they don't like it. I don't like it. Well, listen, that's not the that's not the conversation. Is what I like is running a successful program at a high level with integrity. We can do that. It's it's our job to communicate it, get people on the bus, and a hundred dollars a month, Billy. I'm sure all of us spend a hundred dollars a month uh, in Friartown on some things. And I'm not asking people who don't have it to give it. I'm asking those who can. 
to, to do that because it does make a huge difference. And um, we're going to rev this thing. No excuses, Billy. That's what I say. We're, we're going down. We're, we're going to, we are successful. We're going to continue to be successful. And um, I could, I honestly can't be more excited. I don't sleep just because I'm excited. I, I love what we're doing at Providence. I love the people we have around us. Um, I love, I love the big East. I love, I love my new coaches. I love my coaches who have been there. It's, it's, I'm, I couldn't be more excited right now. Steve, just taking a step back, you touched on, you essentially said, you would kind of mention the term GM. I forget the context, but I was curious, you look at like Villanova, they, they hired like Baker Dunleavy as their GM for, for basketball. Is it going to get to a point where you kind of need someone like a Kim has so much on his plate where you kind of need someone like overseeing the whole thing. And I wasn't sure like, is that Kevin Kerbeck's role now? I know Kevin's doing a lot of like oversight for men's and I think women's basketball, but um, wasn't sure if that's something that you think down the road you might need because this thing's just going to keep growing and growing. Yeah. And, and we're changing every day, Kev. That's a great question. You know, when the transition came, you know, I had to make decisions of, of how I wanted to handle the transition is obviously Kevin Kerbeck was someone who's been at Providence longer than me, you know, in his tenure there. And, um, you know, his title is general manager for men's and women's basketball. And I'll continue to look at how we do that. Does it make sense to bring someone else in? Does it, does it make sense to grow that position? Does it make sense? Uh, and that's, that's not Kevin. Kevin is a huge part of what we do. I'm talking about what you asked me specifically, like the Villanova model of bringing in a former player, a coach, who's kind of like that liaison. The hard part right now, the way it's set up is the collective has final say on everything. We don't determine what the final number is. We can request, we can talk to, we can't. So there's a lot of, I don't want to say, I got to need to be respectful is there's a lot of rules that probably don't make sense. Kev or schools yeah. um, are kind of doing their own thing. Uh, I, I think, the system we have today, Kevin, will be different than the system six months from now, much different from 12 months from now. So I will continually have to adapt and build my team uh, around how the system is. But Kevin Kerbeck's done a great job. I have great teammates. You, you look at what Kevin Connolly's done stepping in my role. You look at what my executive staff's doing, what we're doing. Ticket revenue is we're in really, really good position, Kevin. The, the, the challenge is, is make sure you, you're looking every day of how you're getting better. Don't ever think you arrived or have every answer because it's, it's consistently changing and making sure even when you do well, you stay humble and realize it's really, really fragile. Uh, Steve, what are the questions you most commonly get about NIL? Because I imagine part of what must make, uh, I'd imagine a challenge in, in raising money for it is that People don't necessarily understand where we are, where opposing schools are, what's needed. You know, it's like you're donating toward this like vague, like nebulous number a little bit. Um, and I imagine you get like a good amount of questions on that. But just wondering kind of like what conversations you have with fans about NIL and, you know, just an opportunity to kind of share like what the pitch is to folks. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's a daily conversation multiple times, Kev. You, you, it's a great question. It's education. It's, it's even after you sit down and explain it, some people say, I still don't get it. Yeah. Because it's a system, Kev, realistically, where the way it's been built through the NCA is it's not internal. It's not a Providence College runner. Um, the Friar Family Collective is a third party. It's its own company that we work and have a partnership with. But at the end of the day, it is a third party. And the unique part that I've liked about it, Kev, it is it gives people who contribute to it the opportunity to um, have the players do some really, really cool things in the community is I think that's the thing I've really liked seeing is a lot of uh, the donors and contributors have had kids go to do charity work. And some might say is uh, why they get paid for that. But, you know, I'm a big believer is for years, the players should have gotten a piece of the pie. Um, so this is, it's just, you know, I think has it got out of control? Yes, because if you look at football, I was reading a story yesterday, Kev, a quarterback, I'm not going to use this, he got paid $2 million and is leaving after his first year. That makes 
Think about it. Think about if you're an investor or a thing and you gave a million bucks for a player to come in and he decides to leave after a year. That's a tough way to go. And that's the challenge in this landscape. But what I always tell people is at Providence College, you hope that we have set a standard for many years, well before I was the athletic director, but the goal has been always to do everything at the highest level with integrity, a commitment to excellence, and making sure we treat our student athletes and teach them to be better in everything they do. Name image you like just gives you the challenge, but you can have creative ways to make them learn the impact they have on the community. People love them in so many ways. I was telling Bryce and Devin the other day is we had one of our season ticket holders whose husband passed away at 66. So I brought her grandkids into the locker room just to put a smile on their face. And Coach Kim's part of his speech was never forget what you mean to so many people. You know, this team, this athletic department uh, brings so much joy and happiness. So when you send them out to the community, to make an impact, um, they really, really do play a huge role in helping uplift people, and especially those who are going difficult times. And can you can you quantify just how much you know Kim and his staff are feeling and understanding how special? Like Kim has been mentioning a lot at press conferences about the fans, and I played at Kansas, and here would just love to hear more about just what the players and the staff are communicating to you about how special it is to play here. Because you know I've been following the program for. 30 years now and I know you know this is the most consistent I feel like I've heard about like just how special this place is becoming well I think in anything in life when um yeah well I always talk to my wife about it it's like in a marriage you have to make sure you take the time to realize how good you have it or the special things you have or you can forget about it quick right I think with Kim coming in even in the initial recruitment of our conversations and showing videos of our games and our facilities, when he came in, he truly was blown away. He had, he had never been on Providence college campus. And then when he actually experiences now for a coach, like he sat me down the other day and was like, that building is special. He's like, he's like, Steve, I was, you know, I was wondering would people be in the student sections with all the student guards? What would the energy be without them in there? And, uh, to see his appreciation, his joy, and his, his, his real, what I loved is he wanted this job. He wants to be successful. He loves being here. That to me is a huge part of success is, you know, you gotta, these jobs are difficult enough. So when you have someone like him, who's so into it, loves it. And, you know, when he walks in there and takes a look around, you could see his true love and appreciation, Kev. As you said, he he's not afraid to show that at the press conference. You know, I was I was walking around pregame before Marquette with Kev, and we were we were gonna you know grab a little something to eat post uh, recording, and you know Murphy's was completely full, Blake's Tavern was completely full. We had to walk all the way down to G Pub, Congress Tavern. We had to walk fit, 10, 15 minutes the other way just to kind of get in somewhere right we've been doing our pre games at 110 grill shout out to them there they've been awesome they have a nil deal with devin and they've been supporting you know the the collective and on that front right how we change the community is such a beautiful thing on a game night listen billy you hit it on it and that you talk about the conversations i had this is from the top i'm talking people who run the app the convention center restaurant owners they all have a vested interest in Providence College being successful because when that building's jamming, it impacts everything from restaurants, parking, hotels, the mall. So when you look at it globally, my education, everybody's like, you got to be part of this is we need everybody's support in this because when we have a successful program, the, the cities does well, the state does well, and everybody who has a piece of the the pie in there does well so it's a really big conversation of education understand listen i'm not asking you for money for the heck of it i'm asking you for money so we can really bring this thing to the next level and you can be successful because you look at there's a great story someone sent me today about what the impact of louisville basketball struggling have is having on the local community and that the yum center uh people not going to the games the restaurants are struggling the local community around there struggling. And 
we've been there, Billy. So it's not like we haven't seen what happens when you have a, a, a lack of success in a program struggling. It's my job to make sure we never go back to that. And it's, um, we have to get everybody to make sure we're supporting this thing and, and, and keeping it going. Amen. I think to close on my end, you just think about those years where we would talk about recruits going to, you know, BC or, or Syracuse in the old big East or Pitt, right. Since realignment, we've been so consistent. We've been so, you know, the vibe around the program has been so high and, you know, we definitely can't take that for granted. And now we have the ability as a fan base, you know, as supporters of the program, supporters of the city of Providence to really kind of continuously build this, as you mentioned, right. We're all a part of this, right. We're all, we all now have that piece of the pie that we can be a part of this successful program for a long time. So I don't think it could be understated enough that we can affect this team and their success for years to come. Billy, it's well said. And that's why the message has to be is, uh, the two words sustainability and retainment is you have to make sure you're working it every day and people understand it doesn't matter if we had a great game on Tuesday night Butler's coming in here they're coming for blood it's going to be a tough game that every day is every game's a challenge every day we have to make sure we're doing our best to be great trying to raise money building up the the Friar family collective asking people like the family today to step up and do transformational gifts it, it, there's so much more we can do um you you appreciate what people have done you appreciate every day you're grateful but also saying to yourself is listen stay humble but never get complacent the day you get complacent you're going to fail the next day we'd like to thank everybody for listening to episode 38 of the friar podcast and of course a special thank you to our guest providence athletic director steve napolillo as always, you can find us on social media at the Friar Podcast on X, as well as at the Friar Podcast on Instagram. Please follow, like, and subscribe if you enjoy our content. We'll be back in the coming weeks, and as always, go Friars!